I'm going to ask you this afternoon to, as we look to the Word of God, to open with me to the book of Romans and chapter 1. Romans and chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read a couple of verses, verse 16 to start with. Romans chapter 1. Now, uh, Paul, of course, the apostle, is uh, probably one of the great men of the Bible without any doubt at all. Paul, of course, uh, was one that opposed Jesus Christ in the sense that uh, he had put to death uh, or consented to the death of those that believed in the faith. And as we know from a miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, he was uh, then filled with the Holy Spirit and baptised and he began his ministry and many of the epistles are written by Paul the Apostle and he changed from being someone that opposed the things of Jesus Christ to being one that was totally convinced that there was no other way to God and we're just reading the little comment he makes here in verse 16 he says for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in no way was he uh, going to be uh, apologizing for anything that he had received for the wonderful experience that he had for the gospel message for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ he said the very reason is for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein through the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed uh, from faith to faith as it is written that the just shall live by faith and so uh, here we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ he's writing here to people that were not Jews he's pointing out that the gospel of Jesus Christ is universal it's for everybody firstly it was given to the Jews at Pentecost then later of course from the time of uh, uh, Cornelius his household they received the Holy Spirit the Rotaeans that uh, we find that it became available to Jew and Gentile. First to the Jew, then to the Greek or to the Gentiles. But of course, what it is, it's God's uh, uh, power working and bringing about salvation in the lives of individuals that respond unto it. And it's uh, the very reason why, as it says, the gospel therein is the righteousness of God revealed. In other words, through the gospel message and being partaker of the gospel message, that's how we receive God's righteousness in our life. Another important point here is that the faith that we have in God when we respond to the gospel message and say, if you've asked me to be born again, Lord, I'll be born again, that it arouses up in us even more faith than we had in God before. It's uh, the confirmation that we know that God is real. That day, the gospel tells us, you know that I'm in my Father, you in me, and I in you. That day you are filled with the Holy Ghost. That day that you put the gospel message to the very test for yourself. And of course, the opposite is in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And what it's uh, getting across here is that God's wrath is on them that do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and 
really they seal their own end by the rejection of the gospel message and it's such a tragedy that there's so many people in this world that even in a sense acknowledge that God is real and believe in God and uh, some follow in their own uh, denominations God all their life but they've never embraced the gospel message of Jesus Christ the way that the Bible says that it should be embraced unfortunately they seal their end the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes back he's going to take judgment on them that do not know God and that again it says do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ it's so vitally important to know what that gospel is and to obey it let's have a look over uh, a little bit further to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 Paul writing here last one was to the Roman church and uh, uh, that was spirit filled Christians but now to those that are the Thessalonians and just again a couple of verses verse 13 we read of 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 it says but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you brethren beloved of the Lord because God hath from the beginning chosen you unto salvation through the sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth this is what happens when people respond to God's word that God has pointed out a way of salvation and we've heard and acknowledged the word of God and we've been chosen and not only we're chosen unto salvation but by being filled with the Holy Spirit as we had testified we're sanctified which means set apart because the Spirit has set us apart and because we believe the truth of the word of God and that's why he says whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ that there's more to it than just even receiving the Holy Spirit and, and being born again He's talking about a glory now that's going to be revealed when his son Jesus Christ comes back down to this earth. And so the gospel is really God's foreordained plan again to bring salvation to mankind by the sanctification, the setting apart by the spirit of God and by the belief of that truth to the end that one day we're going to be glorified when Jesus Christ returns. In other words, God has chosen us to be the first fruits of his harvest when we respond. Of all people and nations and kindreds and tongues that respond unto his word, we are one with Christ and with each other. Let's go back, starting this uh, thought of, or following it through in the Gospel of John chapter 16. John chapter 16 going through some basic things but they're important things to understand John chapter 16 verse 7 for the moment we'll just read here and this is the word of Jesus Christ before that the availability of the Holy Spirit was available to mankind and we read here in verse 7 it says nevertheless we talked about a moment ago the gospel and the believing of the truth 
And Jesus actually says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient that I go away. And he's talking to his disciples here of the fact that he was going to leave them. I mean, he'd only been with them for some three years, three and a half total by the time he was crucified. And such a short time, I dare say, in their own minds, this man that they got to love and was their, their master and their Lord, and the miracle worker, wherever he went, they were just so uh, thrilled to know Christ. And here he is saying it's expedient, meaning absolutely necessary that I go away. But if I don't go away from you, then the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And so he's saying that unless I go back to my father, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. And it's expedient that I do this. I must do this for your sake because of the fact that the Lord wants to come into your life. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit was really an answer of a very explicit promise that Jesus Christ is making here, that the Holy Ghost will come. I'll send him to you. Very explicitly Jesus said this. So let's have a look to the book of Acts when it happened. And again, as I say, these are uh, very well-known thoughts to many of us, but let's reinforce them in our mind. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And just a few verses in verse 4. Now this is at a time when uh, Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and uh, we really uh, see that it tells us, if we read in verse 3, that uh, we might read that, it says, to whom uh, also he showed himself alive after his passion. This is Jesus, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them the disciples forty days and speaking still talking about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God still pertaining to the gospel message and so we read and uh, being assembled together with them as Jesus was he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem and he was again reminding them of what we just read in the book of John chapter 16. He said to his disciples, but wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the very promise of God, which saith he you've heard of me, I've told you before. You must wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. For John, John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then down in verse 8, for time we read, he went on to tell them, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and it says, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Again, it's talking about the gospel message being universal, not just for the Jews on this day, but into the future to the Gentiles, to the uttermost part, whatever part of the world. And we praise God that we've been a, an assembly that's been able to send people out to the uttermost part of the earth to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we go over to chapter 2 and again, thoughts we know well. And it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They're all with one accord in one place, as he told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the promise of the Holy Ghost. And we read, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. It means it came in like the wind, and it just spread out like fire over all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. No exceptions here. They're all believing. They're all in one accord, total agreement, seeking the Lord. They all spoke as it says there they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and so we find very clearly what this message is all about the sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth of the word of God now just in the scriptures we've looked at everyone should embrace this shouldn't they there is no doubt in the scriptures this is just so absolutely clear that the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, saw the reality of God fulfilling his promises through Jesus Christ. Through the reality of the promise of the Holy Spirit, the giving of salvation to whosoever will to the Lord may come. So we know this goes on in the, the song, he'll not turn one away. So the reality is for everyone. And like Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians we just refer to it he said for by that one spirit are we all baptised into one body whether we're a Jew a Gentile whether we're a slave or a free person and we're all made to drink or to partake of one spirit it's a simple straight message from the Bible I suppose if you want a title for today I suppose I'm asking what is really Pentecost what is Pentecost and we want to point out that the Pentecostal experience that we're talking of here is more than an idea, it's more than a creed, it's not just answering or adding to a blessing in your life as even Pentecostal so-called inverted commas churches claim. That if you receive the Holy Spirit as at Pentecost and you speak in tongues, that's an added blessing like putting mud flaps on your car. And it's not that way at all. As far as God is concerned, one spirit, one body, all partakers of that one and that self-same spirit. It's rather interesting just looking at a comment, uh, looking for a few other comments, and uh, I was reading the Zondervan's encyclopedia today about the, what is Pentecost, and it actually summarised it this way, and it says it is almost universally agreed, and this is written by men, that just study the Bible and they may or may not be spirit filled but the whole thought here is that it's almost universally agreed even amongst theologians people that try and study God or gods that Pentecost marks the beginning of the Christian church as an institution and that's a pretty profound but a very true statement you know they have some things right when they write these things Pentecost is the beginning of the Christian church. There was no Christian church to the book of Acts. There was no experience of the gospel and proof until people were filled with the Holy Spirit. I can remember being years ago, going back in antiquity almost these days, when uh, 
uh, in the Church of England they went to, they had Whit Sunday, and I kept, you know, well, I just accepted it. I didn't even know what Whit Sunday meant. It was to relate to the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. In actual fact, what it meant to them was White Sunday, the day that you were made white in the blood of the Lamb. And so even to them, in their significance of what they're trying to explain, is that they're saying that Pentecost was the time in which your sins were taken away and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But they never embrace it. Never heard about speaking in other tongues. Never heard about the fact even of baptism by immersion. What a tragedy. Let's have a look at a little bit about the Feast of Pentecost for a moment and then come and comment a few more things from the New Testament. Let's go back to the Old Testament and there'll be very quick references to the book of Exodus chapter 34 and verse 22. We're not going into any detail here but just see where it's referred to. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 22. We read here in, in verse 22, And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and of the feast of the ingathering at the year's end. And of course, uh, here we see about the day of Pentecost. This is the feast of Pentecost. That thou shalt observe a feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and ending up with the feast of the ingathering in that sense of the year's end or the work of the crop. And what it was, if you check it up and you look through and try to understand it, it was held at the end of the wheat harvest. They'd sown their crops. They waited for the rain. They'd seen the fruit to grow in the, in the heads of wheat. And the time came to harvest the very precious fruit for them. And that harvest relates to Pentecost. And of course, uh, if we look at the day, as far as the Jewish calendar is concerned, it was the 50th day after the Passover. And it was held on the, in their calendar on the sixth day of the uh, third month called Savan. In actual fact, in months by our calendar be during the month of June is when they harvested. We usually harvest in November, December our wheat. Over there, they generally did it around June. But it was to commemorate the giving, really also, of the law of God at, at Sinai. And also it was called, as we saw, the Feast of the Ingathering of the bringing in of the harvest and of the precious fruit that was produced. We go over to Leviticus chapter 23 and gives a little bit of a comment about the same thing. Leviticus chapter 23 and uh, verse 15. Verse 15 it says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you've bought the sheath of wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And so, on the fiftieth day after the Passover, 
as they took in the wave offering was to take a sheaf of wheat and to wave it before the Lord. Then they'd take the, the wheat itself and they make a couple of loaves and they present the loaves under the, the priest first to partake of and, and, and so on. That this was the way the day of Pentecost was established right from that time, back from the book of Exodus, right throughout all their days. And yet it's even rather interesting that it's still referred to in the New Testament. It appears that even some of the believers still look to Pentecost as a very important time in the natural uh, even in the book of Acts, uh, Paul the Apostle, we read in Acts 20, he wanted to go to, to be at Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. We also read in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 that he wanted to tarry at Ephesus unto Pentecost. So it's still very much in their mind, even in the natural way. So it was the 50th day, the Feast of Weeks, seven times uh, seven or 49 and then on the Sabbath or the, the next day, the 50th day was the day of Pentecost and of course if we look at Bible numerics it's uh, divided back into factors of 5 by 10 and the number 5 in Bible numerics is the grace of God the free and merited favour of God and number 10 is ordinal perfection and of course if we embrace Pentecost as we have then really we're saved, as it tells us in Ephesians, by the grace of God. And that makes us righteous. Ordinal perfection. That we are, in God's eyes, different now because the grace of God has come into our life and we've been totally changed. In the New Testament, Pentecost is the seed of of the word of God that has been shown, sown out in the field, out in the world and it's the time of the reaping of the harvest the true harvest is bringing in the precious fruits into the kingdom of God and so when we come to our Pentecost we come to the harvest that we become the precious fruit of the Lord our God and of his son Jesus Christ but we find that there's things that this power does in our life and just for a few minutes I've just noted down a couple of things that the power of God is to us now we go back to uh, the Gospel of John and chapter 16 Gospel of John and chapter 16 we read here in verse 13 John chapter 16 and verse 13. We read, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come. And remember, of course, we're talking about, uh, or Jesus is talking about what was still to come. In the book of Acts, it came. And when we received the Holy Spirit, it came personally into our life. But at this time, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about what is to come. But he points out that howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall, shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me, Jesus said. And he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And all things that the Father hath are mine, and therefore said I that he shall take care of mine and he shall show it unto you 
And so we see here that this power of the Holy Spirit, this power is Jesus Christ-centred power. It came because Jesus Christ went all the way and said it's expedient. I'll go back and I'll send him to you. So the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is very much how that God has come into our life through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ-centred power. And we read, of course, too, in the book of Acts, and we just refer to it in Acts chapter 10, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Peter said, with the Holy Ghost and with power. And so he's able to tell the Gentiles how that God had anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power. And while he spoke these words, we read there in, in Acts chapter 10, these first Gentiles were just listening to the gospel message and all of a sudden they spoke with other tongues as the spirit of God gave utterance and they that came with Peter were astonished that on the Jews also had been poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit for they heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God this is Jesus Christ centered power that came into the lives of the Gentiles so that's a very important thing to understand what Pentecost gives us it gives us Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and the power of God in our life. But we also see that the power of God, this Holy Spirit, is a power that possesses you. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and freedom in your life. And just one scripture to look at that, and we go back to Acts and chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. It's part of our life now, once we're born again once we've received our Pentecost. In Acts chapter 3 and in verse 1, we read how that these men now filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and John, they come to a, to a man that is lame. We start reading in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms or money of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John, this is this beggar, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes on him with John and said, Look on us. Look on us. We've got a power in our life. We've got something now to offer you. Look on us. And he gave heed unto them. He listened. And they said, we've got something for you. And he says, I want to know what it is you've got for me. And so he said unto them, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. He's probably expecting a big, big bit of money or some gold coins or something. And then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's the power they possess. That's the power we possess through the Holy Spirit. And he took him up by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he was leaping up and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God 
and all the people who saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the gate beautiful of the temple and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him and as the blind, lame man which was healed helped Peter and John all the people rang together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering they wondered what had happened but obviously they saw that this man would respond unto what they had to give and so this possessing power of the Holy Spirit this liberty and the freedom they had now was able to move in a life of someone that was prepared to look to them and praise the Lord that's the power we have in our life another important point is that the power we have goes on it's progressive power in our life let's have a look over in Galatians in chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5 in verse 15 just to put the other side it says well the end of verse 4 and it says thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself but love one another with a pure heart and fervently this is Galatians chapter 5 and I was just uh, reading there that we're to love one another as our souls the end of verse 14 in verse 15 where it's leading to but if you bite and you devour one another take heed that you be not consumed one of another in other words have we got any malice or anything in our life it really isn't the testimony that Jesus Christ wants this I say then in other words so that you don't act in a natural and normal fleshly way he says but this I say then walk in the spirit it's a progressive walk it's every day with Jesus as sweet in the day before the power you had yesterday you got today and you'll have tomorrow but you've got to walk in that spirit of truth that has come within you and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh you're not going to be overtaken you're going to walk a believer's walk you're not going to be consumed one of another as it says there for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh we've always got this carnal mind that wars against what God has put within us and these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would but if you are led of the spirit you are not under the law in other words you've got to allow the spirit to be your guide you've got to allow the spirit to really move wonderfully in your life you receive power when the Holy Ghost came upon you and you put there to be a witness for God and to go back and to be the way of the flesh ruins your testimony and that's why we need to change and stay changed <coughs> let's have a look in Romans back to Romans chapter 8 well, these are good well known scriptures but they, they're important the perspective of them Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 talking about the power we have Romans eight sixteen. we read here but the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if we're the children of God then we're heirs we're joint heirs or 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. In other words, we might get rejected and what we say might be rejected by other people, but it again tells us that we may be also glorified together, raised out of that situation. He says, For I reckon the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is when Jesus comes back, when we're manifested and we're brought before the presence of the Lord and we meet him in the air. What we go through is not worthy to be compared with what's going to be totally revealed in us. In verse 11, just go back there for a moment. It says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that he raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken or bring to life your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. And so it's a power that's there and it's progressive in your life the more that you use it. The other point I want to bring out here is that Pentecost is a prophetic power. The Holy Spirit is the last plea of God to this world. We know it was called the Holy Ghost of the promise of God. Man does have power to destroy himself in the natural. We know that. The more they do, here we are now back into the arms race again. The Cold War is back upon us. America produced a bomb that was called the mother of all bombs. Now the Russians have built a bigger one that's almost like the, the force of a nuclear power called the father of all bombs. This is the world. Man has the power to destroy himself. But the Holy Ghost experience that you have gives you a power to stand against any trials and tribulations and hardships that may come upon the face of the earth. And it's the promise of God that you escape, even though he's talked of these things happening. In the power of Pentecost, we have a, a complete assurance from God that we have access unto God if that we do exactly what's acceptable of him, having righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In fact, that might be a little thought to look at while we're in the book of Romans. Chapter 14 of Romans. Chapter 14. And in verse 17. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not about natural provisions, it tells us here. But what the kingdom of God is all about, as we established before, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what it's all about. Righteousness, right standing with God, having a peace that passes understanding, and the joy of the Lord being your strength. It says, For he that in these things serveth Christ, if we uh, serve the Lord through the righteousness and the peace and the joy and the love of the Holy Spirit, we're not only approved of God, we're approved of men. Might, sometimes people mightn't understand what you've got. But generally people that used make a stand and are a testimony to respect what you believe in and that's what God wants us to do because we're part of the kingdom of God and when we serve Christ it's approved of men as well not maybe all men and therefore it says in verse 19 let us follow after the things which make for peace 
and the things wherewith one may differ from another. And then it goes on talking about some more exhortations that are important for us to understand. A couple of other thoughts just towards finishing now as we put it to the reality and that is in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Just to summarise it up now. And it says, Moreover, brethren, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, I declare unto the gospel, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. So Paul says, I preached it to, it, to you, I preached of a Pentecostal experience, you've embraced the Holy Spirit. You've received the Holy Spirit. Now you've got to stand in what you've received, by which you also are saved. If you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless you've believed in vain, unless it be all a, a waste of time. If you receive it and you don't go on with it, it's a waste of time. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I received it that way. You received it that way through Christ's death, through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel message. This is how you've come to be who you are and what you are. First Thessalonians in chapter 4. First Thessalonians. In chapter 4 and verse 13 the wonderful promises of what this all leads to the resurrection the second coming of Jesus Christ scriptures we know well and we often quote and Paul says here, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, talking about them in the sleep of death, died before Christ comes, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, bring to immortality, bring forth as it means from the Greek language. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ, inspirited, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the uh, um, remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And then going on for a few more verses. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have need that, no need that I write unto you. We're already warned of the suddenness of Christ coming back again and how we need to be ready. He says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they, the world, shall cry out for uh, peace and safety when they're in this insecurity there's going to be sudden destruction that cometh upon them 
as to vow upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. There is no escape from what's coming upon the earth. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and not of the day. We are not of the night and nor of darkness. And therefore let us not sleep. And this is talking spiritually, go to sleep. Let us not sleep as others do. Spiritually, they're sound asleep. They don't know the gospel. And others that do know the gospel and even receive the spirit are in really in spiritual sleep. There are a number of them. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the, sleep in the night and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the blessed plate of uh, faith and of love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. This is all the, to do with the armour of God, the spiritual armour. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or asleep, whether we're alive on that day or asleep in the grave, that we should live together with him. This is what the Lord has brought us to, because Pentecost is very much part of our life. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.